Hello and welcome to Echoes of Glory. I'm Andy, resident Pod Stato, and today I'm on the road and I've come to visit the author of the soon-to-be-released Spurs shirt book, Simon Shaky Shakeshaft. Hello, Simon. Good morning. Um, I'm holding a copy of the Spurs shirt book and I have to say it's mightily impressive. Um, tell me, tell me about the book. Um... Yeah, what is to say about the book? Um, I'm, I've got to say, I'm equally as impressed with the book as, as you are. And um, I just keep looking at it. I, it sits on a pillow next to me and I'm sitting on the sofa and I stroke it. <laughs> because it's just, you know, I'm just blown away by it. And I know that my fellow authors, uh, Darren Burney and Neville Evans, are exactly the same. You know, Darren is like Tigger. Of Winnie the Pooh, he's just excitable and, yeah. and and absolutely can't take the smile off his face. So um, we're all equally as proud of it as, and I think when you when you know listeners see it, they'll be well, hopefully, be as equally impressed. How did the idea come together to produce the book? Well, as you know, I've got a history of being involved with shirts from my days as a physio at um, Hereford United. And then later on at Exeter City, um, back in the day, you had to look after look after kits as well. So you know, doubled up as the physio, which was your qualification, but you had to be the kit man until they until I moaned enough that the Hereford <laughs> got one, and then I went to Exeter and moaned enough, and they got one there as well. Um, but then I had to cook the food on the team bus instead <laughs> at Exeter. Um, but so I've been involved in shirts. I always had an interest in shirts. It's like when you when you're a kid, you evolve, don't you? With collecting, if you're a collector collector of anything, you yeah. you can evolve. So you know, I collected programs and pin badges and stickers and yeah. did all that and progressed on to getting a shirt. My first shirt was Wales Admiral shirt in nineteen seventy six, seventy seven time. I was never out of it, you know. And it, those were the days when it was semi acceptable that that kids would wear could wear um, other club shirts or other international shirts because they were fellow, um, they were English mates of yeah. mine in Hereford who would wear in the Wales Admiral kit. You know, that was, that was allowed. It wouldn't happen now, would it? So I'd always had an interest in shirts. And then by the early 90s, I progressed into, and believe it or not, my first ever match shirt, my first ever player shirt, it wasn't match worn, was the 1991 Tottenham FA Cup final shirt, oh, right. which I'd got from my brother who'd been given it by Terry Venables. And it was the number 13 which wasn't attributed to any particular player. Uh-huh. Um, and I had uh, a short sleeve version. There were obviously a short and long sleeve version of that shirt. And I had the short sleeve version um, of that. And that was my first one. Then I got a, uh, at the same time, I got also got a Paul Stewart number seven Hummel shirt from that season. Yeah. And uh, so they were my first ever. So getting these player shirts, you just notice the difference immediately. And through the throughout the nineties, occasionally you pick them up. When you know when I was working in football, you know if Hereford or Exeter or anyone played a big team, um, you know we played Everton when I was at Exeter. We played um, Spurs when I was at Hereford. Yeah. You know I've got <clears throat> a certain former centre half at Spurs' shirt of all the players to get when they played at Edgar Street. I managed to get his, and uh, but I also got Colin Calderwood's given to me by Roy Raylan when we were down at. Um, he was the, the Spurs kit man at the time. He was, yeah. And uh, Colin wasn't playing, but we came to put the kit out in the afternoon and Roy came down the tunnel and he went, there you go, pal, and gave me Roy, uh, Colin Calderwood's shirt. Colin okay. was injured, he wasn't playing. Um, so so then I started to accumulate this collection and then a friend of mine, my former manager at Exeter City's boys, who I'd become mates with, um, Dave, went and played for Manchester United and they played in the Champions League, so he was getting little swap shirts and stuff like that, and that's where it started for me, collecting okay. shirts. And then I've obviously then got an interest in the history of them, and and from there I've progressed on, and I had an idea of doing a book for from about 2007, 2008, and, and I and a few collectors that I spoke to regularly and, and dealt with, and they said to me, and one, one of them came to me and just said, look, Shaky, let's do, a, let's do, what, let's do a book then. And I said, okay. He said, well, I want to do Arsenal. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> Arsenal. So, um, I said, okay, well, let's let's see what we can do. So we did, um, and, it, and it all became about because somebody knew Ken Fryer at Arsenal, and that that was the introduction. So we got in there, and but the long and the short of it is, so we did the Arsenal book, and it was really well received. We got nominated for Best uh, 
the best illustrated category in the British Sports Book Awards. Um, but the 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 publishers, Vision Sport, of the Arsenal book are Spurs' official publishers. Okay. And just before the Arsenal book was released, they had a meeting and Jim drew it from Vision Sport, who's the editor of the, the Spurs shirt book, put the Arsenal book in front of Spurs' retail team and the commercial department, and they went, wow, we want one of those. So then, obviously, since about 2007, I've curated Neville Evans's um, football shirt collection. Mm-hmm. Neville Evans has got probably the biggest um, football memorabilia collection in private ownership in the UK. It's oh. just, it's vast. And he's a Tottenham fan. Yeah. Um, so Neville said to me, I said to him, well, you know, would you get on board? Because you're, you know, we couldn't do a book on Spurs without your input. And he said, no, I'm more than happy. But Neville's one of these people who's contributed to like the, to the Lane book and to the 1961 double yeah. book. And, and um, so he always gets acknowledgements in the back of the book. And I said to him, I want you to be co-author it with me. I want you to be on the front, front of the, the center, book. Yeah. And he was, because he's not one of these people for that sort of publicity. And he went, no problem. Um, okay, I'll do it if, if somebody else does it. And I said, I know you're going to say. So he introduced me to Darren Burney. Now, mm-hmm. Darren's first words to me were, don't tell anyone, but I've got a copy of the Arsenal shirt book. It's the only red and white thing in my house. <laughs> but I've got a copy of it. And he said, and when I found out that Neville had told me you were doing the Spurs book, you'd been commissioned to do the Spurs book, he said, I was really pleased. But now you've invited me to get on board with the project. I'm ex- really excited. Excellent. So, so that's what it came about. The three of us got together, and you know, we between Darren and Neville, they've supplied eighty um, percent of the shirts okay. in the book, eighty-five percent of the shirts in the book, and then, and then Liam Ridley, who's another um, quite another private person, but a, but a, a really impressive collection of shirts. But his knowledge of the of match worn shirts is amazing, and he came on board just after the project had kicked off. So between the three of them, we accumulated this amazing collection of Tottenham shirts going right back to nineteen to the late forties, and um, and then um, other players, other collectors have provided shirts from Colin Webb, the former um, Sylvie Webb's son, the former laundry lady at the club, through to Rob Siegel, the agent. Um, he's a massive Tottenham fan, and 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 all the way through to people like Nigel Ray who's got Danny Blanchflower's 1961 Cup final shirt in the book, and he's, of course, the owner of um, Saracen's Rugby yeah. Shop. So, so it's been like a jigsaw, putting all the pieces together to, to, but to as you, get the complete... But as you were involved with, with the photo shoots, you know, you came down and saw how it was all occur- you know, how the photography was taking yeah. place, and you saw the shirts, and you were like an excitable kid that day as well. I was very um, much so. And then, uh, but you, you saw it all being put together, and what we tried to do was trying to keep it tight, you know, you you can't have, you know, too many people supplying shirts because it can get lost. Uh-huh. But there were a lot of shirts that we photographed that didn't get included, you know. Um, we've got Klinsman's dive shirt in the book. And, yeah. of course, that had to be in the book, right? And But originally, I hadn't spoken to the owner of the Klinsman shirt. And I knew of it. And Darren put me in touch with Jeff. And I ended up, we had a, we had a David Kerslake shirt. Yes, <laughs> if you remember, and I'm thinking we can't put a David Kerslake shirt in that for that style of shirt in the no book, offense surely, to David, you know? but no, there's a level of gravitas here, isn't there? D- David will understand, I'm sure. So yeah, so we took, photographed a lot of shirts, and they technically what we got got cut. You know, yeah. we could have done a Glenn Hoddle 1980s version. You know, we've got from 1978, we've got a Hoddle Admiral shirt right the way through to 87. We've got the navy blue and the sky blue away kits, the Hamel kits, yeah. but. But we've got also didn't include in the in the book his nineteen eighty one FA Cup final replay shirt. We didn't include his eighty two FA Cup uh, sorry League Cup final shirt. You know, there's there's a number of Glenoddle shirts that weren't included. His centenary long sleeve number ten shirt didn't get included, and um, there's a number of European shirts from the from eighty three to eighty five. But they're all covered get. amongst other players though, with with different that's stories what, to tell. That's what we tried to do. We we tried to make it. To include as many as we can, and, and as you'll see, there are a number of players that we've gone all the way from Massimo Luungu for a rare shirt, yeah, one appearance for the club, and he missed the important penalty kick in against Stoke on his debut and never played for the club again. I don't think. 
Um, we've got his shirt in there. We've got like Chimonda's highest numbered shirt that Spurs players ever worn yeah. in the book. But equally, then we've got Danny Blanche Flowers, 1961 Cup Finals. I mentioned we've got Pete Baker, 61. We've got um, we've got Danny Blanche Flowers European Cup Final. We've got Cup Alan Gilzine's yeah. uh, FA Cup Final from 67, all the way through to you know the, the Perrimans, the Hoddles, the Mabbots, um Paul Stewart's 91, right up to Deli Alley and, and Harry Kane. So the, the book contains every home shirt from 1961 onwards, and the away shirts, what is that? Well, the away shirts are really difficult to find, um, from, especially from the 60s, but we managed to acquire really late in the day, um, we managed to acquire the 1971 to 74 yellow, um, yellow away shirt, yeah. the reverse of the home, meaning yeah. in yellow. With a navy cockerel, um, and that was a Terry Naylor from from the Feyenoord. The only reason we were able to to acquire it was from it was from the Feyenoord UEFA Cup final second leg when Spurs wore wore yellow yeah. away from home. Um, and if you ever see footage of that game, ignoring what what happened around that game, as we all know, well documented, there's um, the the Feyenoord players received the trophy wearing bathrobes. Oh right! So you'll see the captain, and and some of them have turned the shirts around. They've swapped shirts with Spurs players, and ah. they've turned them around so you can just see the numbers yeah. on the back, on on their fronts. And uh, equally, they, it was actually to cover up their shirts wow. uh, that they'd exchanged with the yeah. Spurs players. And and we managed to be put in touch with somebody, a former Feyenoord player, Incredible. who still had Terry Naylor's shirt. So that was one of the late editions. So with the away shirts, they're more difficult. So we went back to seventy-one because that's yeah. technically there was nothing. Nothing to differentiate it from the cup final from a normal league shirt. And if you see it in the book, you'll see it's slightly faded. It's not yeah. the bright yellow it should be. And that's because, obviously, Johnny Wallace was letting them um, wear them all season. And then, well, I see you, you, there's nothing on this shirt. Nothing special for the final, yeah. Special, so they'll just wear normal shirts. And, um, I mean, that talking of that, it was quite a funny story about Johnny Wallace. When, in 1972, he... Um, Martin Chiver scored in the, in uh, away at Wolves, you know the the goals at Wolves, and um, he came in after the game and he said, "Can I have my shirt, Johnny?" And he said, "No, no." He said, so he said, "Listen, Chiv, he said, well, you you'll you'll um have it for uh the, you'll have it for the second leg." He said, "Okay, no problem." So second leg comes, draw the game, win the trophy in the dressing room after. Any chance of my shirt now, Johnny? Because he's taking it, he picked it up off the floor and put it in the skip. No, he said the reserves need it for next season, son. <laughs> oh, no. And Chiv's words to me were, "Just think how much that would be worth now." <laughs> Imagine that. You know. So, but yeah, so seventy, seventy-one, right up to now, we've got every variation, a timeline of away shirts. But the first club's first third shirt in nineteen seventy-seven was the royal blue against Leeds away. Just one in one game. And one in one Unbadged. game. The youth team, the youth but, team wore it as well, didn't they? Um, like in the youth cups, youth youth cup semi final against Crystal Palace, they wore it. Mix it. I remember the game. I don't remember what the hell we were wearing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I think you'll probably find that I'm talking about the other game where they lost two 0 or whatever it was. So they might have worn it away from home. I think they lost at home, whatever. Um, but either way, it was worn by the youth team. Yes. And I know even when Terry Naylor had a sort of they had a Terry Naylor day in in about 1980 at the training pre season. Yeah. yeah, it was a pre season thing, and I think there was a sort of exhibition game went on and. The, the the blue t- shirts were worn in that particular game by one of the teams p- playing against Terry. So. That that level of research, though, because there were some people who might have believed that it was borrowed from Leeds, but you've since been able to prove with the research that this had been well, worn one, on one occasions. Things, yeah, absolutely, because one of the things that um, people talk about now are third kits and they're taboo and people don't like talking about them and there's a real downer on third kits. But they've been in, in clubs' um, kit. Uh, um, armory for yeah. a long, long time, and you know, Spurs had had um, third kits or different types of kits going back to the thirties and the twenties when they were playing in cups, and they just yeah. had one-off games where they wore, you know, when when there was a clash, both teams changed, and and, and even up into Bill Nick's era when he was sampling with kits, he was trialing different things. That hence the reason why they were all white in Europe. That's a Bill Nick thought. It's nothing to do with Real Madrid, and. Um, and the team were wearing an all gold or or amber kit, yeah. and in rayon it was in 1950. It was in rayon, so it was shiny. Yeah. yeah, So it was like a a, a man made uh, silk, basically. Look, it had so it was reflective, like and, a jockey um, silks. Yeah, it was. 
And um, but it was wasn't very comfortable to wear, and it it retained the heat, and it got wet and stuck to the players' bodies, yeah. and they didn't like it. But he was trying it, and and they used gold as a or amber as a under lights to see if they if that players could pick each other out. Um, so they were, that was the third kit because obviously at the time there was a navy kit as yeah. well, and even in 60, 60, 61 when they did the double, Spurs away at Bolton wore um wore the. Um, really? The gold kit, yeah, in a one-off yeah. game at, away at Bolton. Um, so people forget. So they wore three kits that season. You know the famous navy V-neck reverse of the home, yeah, with a white V-neck, which was Bill Nick's favourite colour, by the way, navy. Um, which we did research and find out. Lovely. But um, yeah, and, and then going back to the Leeds game, 1977, we know that there was um, there was a whole. Uh, we knew that it was prepared. They didn't borrow it from Leeds because. It's enlisted in the program. Spurs were wearing in advance, blue, yeah. you know. So, so how long has the whole process taken from not just from the idea, but from actually? Well, as you know, the the Arsenal book came out in two thousand and fourteen. So just before that, Vision Sport had put the book in front of Spurs, and they went with one of those. So that's when the first seeds were planted for the book. But the real momentum was gained in the last three years. Yeah, and then two years ago, we picked up the baton and we went with it. And I mean, you'll know when. February 2017 was the first photo That's shoot. That's right, yeah. And um, which you were, you, which you came to, and then of course me and you went off on a little road trip to Wales to do, do to photograph some of Neville Evans's collection. In, in actually photographed in Ask not in Aberystwyth, where Neville's from, and um, we had a um, we saw some worldies there that day, didn't we? It's incredible shirts, um, some amazing things. That... And uh, yeah, you, you did walk. I had to step over your jaw a few times yeah. with my wheelchair, and. Um, but no, that that's so. That was when it all started to come together, and then of course, as you know, I had issues with my health, um, which, looking back, it was an absolute nightmare for me personally. It was mm-hmm. a really tough time, but Jim, the editor, and Doug, the designer, they stuck with it because they believed in the project yeah. massively, and Darren and everyone was so understanding about the situation. But the delay helped the book. The quality okay. of the book, because of the delay, you know, the addition of Terry Naylor's yeah. yellow away shirt, which came in very late in the day, really. Um, I was included in one of the last photo shoots we did in July. And and those sorts of things wouldn't have been in. We'd have been very proud of a book we'd have produced 12 months ago. But it's more no complete. Doubt. But it's absolutely yeah. is now, yeah. Fantastic. Um, at the beginning of the book, obviously, there are, there are shirts that predate the collections and, and things have just not been kept. Um, how how was research done to, to find out and, and try and evidence those very, very early years? Well, there's a guy like yourself, as you know, called Tony Seeley. Now, Tony Seeley was introduced to me by Dave Moore at Historical Football Kits. And Dave said, you know, this guy is, is, is the, the man who knows. And I've seen, I've seen some of his stuff for India Spurs, for instance. I've read some yeah. of his stuff. So I knew the guy was... Was the ultimate anorak, really? You know, and his in a words positive me, way, yeah. You know, absolutely, Andy's word. Um, sorry, um, Tony's words to me were, "No one will ever anorak, anorak me on a Spurs kits." So, of course, the, the book isn't about the kits; yeah. it's about the shirts. But Tony is is he's got a new nickname, hasn't he? We call him Intense Tony, <laughs> IT for short, um, because he he's so thorough. His brain's just massive. So, what I did was I just plugged him in one day with these probes on the side of his head. I, Give him a lobotomy, stuck the probes onto his brain, yeah. and that's where we got all the research out from the early years. No, seriously, we did. Um, there was a number of publications done on the on the club from 1908 was the first time. Mm-hmm. It was called the White Hart Souvenir Brochure. Mm-hmm. Um, cost you a fortune if you find one now yeah. online. And then there was the Romance of Football in the 1920s, early 20. I think it's 21 or something, maybe 24. Um, and they talk about that's about Spurs. Right. There's the Romance of Football sort of brochure on Spurs and they both mention start mentioning the club's colours so that was the sort of first port call and then of course Bob Goodwin one of the club's historians yeah. who wrote the complete record um, he was introduced to me um, and we had some many a good chat Excellent. so Bob, Bob every time in the Tottenham and Edmonton Herald that Tottenham or Spurs gets mentioned from right back from 1883 yeah I know it was 1882 when the clubs formed before yeah. anyone corrects me, but they were the first one they were mentioned because they were Hotspur then anyway. That's right. Anytime they get mentioned, he has a, a copy of it, you wow. know, facsimile or, yeah, yeah. or a printout or, or a cutting. 
Um, so his research is amazing. And, um, and we even debated at length in 1880, was it 1884 or was it in 1885 that the club introduced the first blue and white half shirt mm-hmm. because, of, because Tottenham had played, sorry, Blackburn played um, Queen's, Queen's Park in both those games. That's where the confusion came in. And it turns out that I believe from our research, and as does Tony, as does IT, I believe that um, the first change came in 1884, not 1885. Okay. But the first photograph of a Spurs team, a Tottenham Hotspur team, is in 1885 against um, St. Albans in the Cup. Yeah. And and that's the first time you see um, a Spurs team, and they're wearing blue and white half shirts with the with the um, cross pate crest on the on the on, yeah. the on the left breast so you know that that was researching and, and a lot of it came from there because the white heart and the romance of football do contradict themselves you know okay. a little bit um, but one thing I find fascinating then you go into the 50s and you look at Holland's book on the club and, 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 and other later publications one in the late 40s as well um, <clears throat> excuse me there's they all seem to have this issue with trying to attribute the club's colours to a team. Yeah. Ever since the Blackburn, which we know was because the players, it's written down that the players admitted they changed the colours as a tribute to Blackburn yeah. because they were so impressed with, the, with their football play. And, you know, when you get to Tottenham wearing red, in, well, they were called the Tottenham Reds yeah. in, in 1892, when they wore red, and, and, you know, it wasn't a big deal then, and you've got to remember that red would have been chosen because it was predominantly an easy colour to access. Yeah. You know, so you know you look at around football, the most three most pom- common colours are white, blue, and red. Yeah. So <clears throat> it doesn't make it doesn't make, you know it's not unusual, and um, and of course the the team from south of the river weren't anywhere near North London at that no, time, were they? There was no rivalry. Still, still a few good good few years away, and um, so the so the whole. Um, thing I found really strange was in, in, in 1950s when Holland wrote but when Spurs changed to red and it was actually they wore it for six seasons red that he said um, we, we, but we don't know who that was attributed to and of course then in 1898 99 when it was originally 99 when everyone thought that Spurs changed to white it was actually mm-hmm. 1898 um, that, that, that people then attributed that to Preston North End yes. and that was came from a press report to say they were wearing snow white Shirts and navy shorts or navy knickers, as they were called then, yeah, in 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 the same style as Preston North End, and then it became attributed to yeah. Preston North End. But you got to remember they weren't a great side then. And that's no disrespect to Preston North End. By then, they they were on the wane. Okay. I mean, it was Aston Villa that did the double in eighteen ninety seven. Yeah, you know, Spur, um, Preston did it in in eighteen ninety eighteen eighty nine, didn't they? So, the first Invincibles and. Um, no, we're not allowed to mention them, are we? <laughs> the originals. Yeah, the originals, yeah. So, um, and so, you know, it, it just baffles me that all the way through, when, when you're doing your research, it baffled me how there seemed to be this thing that you had to attribute any colour changes to the club that took place at the club. And, you know, you've got to think that from 1882, which we don't know what they wore, and it would have probably been a mismatch anyway, of players um, bringing their own yeah, kit. Yeah, absolutely. Because you've got to remember these were boys. These yeah. were boys, 14, 14, 13, 14, 15 year old boys. And so they, they, they would have bought their own. But then when it's the first colours are mentioned in 1883, we know there were navy shirts. Then they had, then they had the blue and white halves. Then there was a period where nobody knows what they wore for two or three yeah. seasons. And then we know that they wore blue and white stripes. And then we know that they wore red. And then we know they wore chocolate and caramel yeah, stripes. Yeah, something that they later you know? revisited as yeah, a tribute. That's right. And... And um, and then of course then it became white in and it, and it wasn't anything to do with Preston North End. It was something so simple, you know. It was affordability. The club was professional. They had to buy the kit for the players, and nobody else at the time, when they registered white kit, was registered as wearing white kit. So there was going to be limited times that Spurs needed to so change. So it's a common sense choice, yeah. really, as much as anything. Yeah. So it's a lot, lot less romantic, though, isn't it? Are any of the shirts particularly rare? Well. The first thing is that in the book itself, as you know, as it tells you on the back of the book, you know, it's from a unique collection of match-worn shirts. Yeah. All the shirts in the book are player shirts, so they're either prepared for them to be worn or they're worn yeah. in games. And some of them even have, still have mud on them, you yeah. know. 
So, by the way, when you see the back of the book, there's there's eight shirts there, and you'll see one of them's got mud on it. It's not a smudge on the cover. It's actually the mud on the shirt. That's um, so, yes, there's some extremely rare shirts in the book. Um, you know, Bill Bryan's goalkeeper shirt from 1962 FA Cup final became recently became the most expensive shirt Tottenham shirt ever sold uh -huh. at auction when it hammered at twelve thousand um, pounds. Then, when you look at the the, the rarity, the nineteen sixty one double shirts are the holy grail for a lot of collectors. Of course, um, and and then so any cup final, there's twenty two different player shirts from cup finals in the book. We've got every cup final post war. The really sad thing is we wouldn't have expected to find the 1901 of course but 1921 of course is famous because it was the first time that Spurs wore a the cockerel on yes. the, on, a, on a chest and uh, as as the club crest and um there's none of those have survived anywhere that we know of but if anyone can find one please let me know of course um because there are at least two wolf shirts that survived from that game yes so so that's disappointing that you couldn't find one, and that would be really, and really. Two sets effort. of shirts were used in that game yeah, because, well, yeah. of, because uh, of the heavy rain. Yeah. yeah, the weather was horrendous, and Wolves did the same. You see, they went out and wore this bad shirt in the first half, and those are the two that have survived yeah. that we know of. And then, of course, the second half they went out with a new set of shirts which didn't have badges on. So, um, but then, extremely rare shirts. All the cup final shirts are generally rare, especially the older ones. But things like Ricky Fear's shirt, I mean, is in the book from the 1981 yeah. FA Cup final. I know you know that. It was one of my most favourite moments of the whole thing was, was being standing next around to it. next to it. I and can tell that because you're smiling like the guy at Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. You know, but um, it, it that shirt is just, when you talk about club's history, you know, Man United, they talk about Solskjaer's goal in 99 yeah. and his shirt would be this similar thing and that, that lock down the road, as you call them, of course. you know, the Michael Thomas goal in 1989. This is the same for Spurs. The, the Ricky Veer shirt, you just can't, you know, we talk about, you know, you gaze at that shirt and you automatically think about this run that you're Exactly, on, it brings you back to that moment. And, and, and you're like, wow. And to have that in the book is just, uh, what would that go for if it went in at auction yeah. now? You know, it's and, incomprehensible. Yeah, it? and, 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 you know, Glenn Hoddle shirts are in there. Uh, there's certain players that attract rarity, but, but obviously the one Glenn Hoddle shirt we have in the book is ultimately hugely, hugely rare. And in 1982-83, the centenary season, they the club produced, or Le Coxworthy produced a yellow shirt uh, for one game only. Right. It was only to be worn in one game. Um, but Johnny Wallace later used it as an, in another game, as you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't a competitive game of any sort, so it couldn't be classified as being That's right. competitively. But um, Bristol Rovers actually had their centenary year in 1983. Whereas Spurs obviously was eighty two, eighty three for their centenary right. season, but so in um, early the first part of the year in the eighty two, eighty three season, Spurs played at Bristol Rovers, and that was part of the Gary Mabbitt deal as well that brought Gary to the club. Yeah. But but also for the centenary, they just wore this gold kit, this yellow kit. Yeah. And um, all yellow, and we've got Glenn Huddle's shirt. That's fantastic. From that game. And, and, and the surprising thing is, I mean, obviously on our social media we've put that picture up occasionally of that shirt. And people, a lot of people didn't even know it existed because yeah. it never was for sale as a, as a replica. And then talk about more modern shirts that were never sell, for sale as replicas. You've got the 2002 League Cup final, you know, the Worthington Cup final shirt. Yes. And the, what somebody once called a golden poppy shirt. I don't really understand that significance but that's the nickname yeah. it somehow acquired um, and and those shirts there was only 60 odd of them produced um, and you know that's a bit of a holy grail for modern day collectors to try and acquire one of those um, it's just that and also there's the there's the white set of shirts because it, the this is an incredible story that lots and lots shirts. of fans and, and I didn't initially know uh, myself there was always a rumour that these existed. Well, we know where the where the shirts are, um, or the majority of the shirts are. And um, for the final, of course, the the contract was coming to the end with Adidas, and um, so they Adidas refused to produce this cup final one-off shirt as a replica because they didn't know 
how it would be perceived and it was going to cost beer in a very expensive process to produce these shirts with only a few months of the contract to run. Um, so to, to get round the issue of Spurs winning, if they'd won that day, they prepared a set of shirts, home shirts, for the players that would have put them on to go and pick up the cup. So the club so, would be able to sell it as a replica to the fans. Here's the shirt that you know we've, we've just lifted uh, some silverware. So that's in. right. So the so the home the white shirt from that season was prepared for the players as the presentation shirt to go and pick up the cup. Although they'd worn a different yeah. coloured shirt in the game, and that's because they couldn't afford to have you know the Sydney Herald and the New York Times the front page Tottenham Hotspur celebrating the cup win wearing that kit. Yeah. And as it happened, the shirt stayed in a bag. Never used, sadly. And. Um, they came out and... And there'd been a history of that because I remember Barcelona had won a European Cup whilst wearing orange and then changed to traditional colours for the presentation. And, and I think cup. Celtic have done it a few times as well. At least once they've done it in, in the Scottish Cup final. They've worn, a, worn a, an away shirt yeah. and, then, and then put on their hoops, famous hoops for, for the um, presentation. And do you have a personal favourite shirt of, of the, the Spurs era? Well, as you know, Andy, I'm a Hereford United fan. Um, yeah, we did do, but obviously a great connection with Ricky George. Yes. You know, of course, um, because Ricky's been introduced for 45 years as Ronnie Radford because everybody thought he scored the winning goal. Yeah. He did score the, Ricky scored the winning goal and Ronnie Radford scored the equaliser against right. Newcastle. So it was great in, uh, interviewing Ricky for the book as a Spurs boy from 1961 to 64. He was at the club, you know. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I did do was interview Robbie Brightwell. I always loved the Admiral period, as I said about my first ever kid, yeah. that Admiral period as a kid growing up. And that's where the nostalgia's with people my age now. They're the guys that wear the retro shirts because they heart, they heart back to, their, to, that day. to the childhood. Yeah. Um, but, so the Admiral shirt's great, you know, and, and Hereford had a very similar Admiral shirt to Spurs, but Indeed. it wasn't borrowed as the rumours. So, yeah. You know, they didn't buy up the excess stock when Spurs went to the Coxwell Teeth. But the Coxwell Teeth in Hummel era... Yeah, less so, but the Coxwoldy for me just stands out. Beautiful and and what what has enhanced my love of Spurs the Coxwoldy kits is is speaking to Robbie Brightwell. Now, anyone who's of a certain age will know that Robbie Brightwell is the son of David and father. father sorry, the son of yeah, the father of David and David's brother Ian, um, who both played for City. Both, both played for Manchester City, but 1964 Olympics. There was a British female athlete called Anne Packer, and she broke the 800 metre world record, winning gold. And she, if you ever see the footage, she won it by an absolute canter, a massive margin, and broke the world record. Well, Robbie married Anne Packer, so you can understand why the two Brightwells who played for Manchester City have good genes when yes. it comes to running around. And but Robbie was in was in, um, employed by Adidas originally by horse wrestler Adidas in the uh, Adidas. Umbro division, the Adidas division at Umbro was run by Robbie Brightwell from 1971 to 77 and then he left and behind his parents back, Horst Dussel had bought Lecoq Sportif okay. and so Robbie covertly had to run Lecoq Sportif in the UK well of course the first club they ever they ever covered was, was Derby County but, but Spurs were the flagship and, yes. and, and I, I spoke to Keith Birkinshaw and interviewed Keith, I interviewed Robbie Brightwell at length, particularly with Robbie Brightwell, and the insight and the respect that man has for Tottenham Hotspur and particularly Keith Birkinshaw. Because you've got to remember you're at a period where Keith Birkinshaw was the manager who oversaw everything. He, yeah. made, he, he negotiated the contract with Admiral in 1977. You know, he, he negotiated the use of Minerva footballs mm -hmm. for the club to use, right? Because the Minerva football, the, the Metzler family were a local family. Right. And I know Minerva footballs were used by a lot of by a lot of clubs around the country, but they were used by Tottenham for like 29 years or something. Wow. You know, overall, I mean, even back to Bill Nicholson's days, they were using Minerva footballs even if it was just for training. Um, and just the respect that that Robbie had for the club, and and it was a mutual thing. But there's some great stories: the 81 Cup final mix-up with the numbers and spoiling in the first game, yeah. and then the second game they were replaced and. The whole relationship between Lecoq Sportif and Spurs just went hand in hand, and that enhanced my love of Lecoq Spurs Lecoq Sportif shirts. It was a very interesting time. There were changes 
um, with the designs of shirt, they've become far more modern looking, and Spurs well, had shadow Spurs, stripes. Yeah, well, Spurs were the first team to have to have shadow stripes, and Rob even describes that moment when they went to a company called Long Eaton Fabrics in um, in Nottinghamshire, and 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 they um, pulled out this material, this fabric, and they went, you know, and straight away, Rob, that's what we're going to have. Yeah, and um, it's uh, you know we we. It's, Collectors and shirt anoraks, we call it shadow stripes, but I think it's actually called self stripe because a self coloured shirt is a mm-hmm. plain shirt. Yeah. So I suppose I've always had self coloured shirts up until Admiral. Um, now it's a self coloured trim, you know, but um, so they're self stripe shirts. But the that that was groundbreaking at the time, yes. and within 12 months, so many other clubs and so many other manufacturers were producing shadow stripe kits for other clubs. And Spurs have always seemed to be at the forefront of groundbreaking designs, apart from the fact that they they, they took on Pony once as their kit manufacturer. Other mm-hmm. than that, they always seem to be there or thereabouts with stuff, you know. Excellent. So, uh, do you have a personal favourite? Personal favourite would be the centenary season kits, without doubt. It's a great collection. Um, it, it, and it is. And, and in the book, we have a home Steve Perryman and away Aussie Ardiles blue, the sky blue. Yeah. And um, you mustn't call it baby blue. That's an Americanism. Okay. Okay. It's powder it's, blue. It's always been sky blue for me, sky, but powder blue, blue might be the correct blue. term. Yeah, I think it is called powder blue. Um, and then, of course, the, the really, really rare yellow third shirt. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, that would be my... Because you look at that season and you look at those shirts and that set of shirts. And, I mean, for me, Kappa get a lot of bad press with, with a lot of fans. I mean, I can understand they weren't exactly... Um, endearing to people's bodies physique yeah um, the supporter that the shape of them for the supporters but but the you know that the i think it's the 2004-5 set you know the yellow and the and the white home kit plain they they were plain weren't they they were lovely yeah that that set of kits would be up there as as a set would be for me purely tottenham traditional colors and and very plain design and the the throwback really simplistic and and um was whereas Kappa were putting more into the technology of the shirts rather yeah. than the design, which is the way it changed because it was all about design in the nineties and being Larry and loud and let's change it and throw you know just throw. I mean, I think some of the designers were still hanging around from the from the love, summer of love in eighty eight, <laughs> yeah. weren't they? You know, still still smoking some chemical relaxants and um, and so it all changed. You know, you went through the nineties with especially particularly goalkeeper shirts. They were just really scary. Weren't some they? insane things, um, aren't they? And um, and then of course you had Spurs goalkeeper shirts in the nineties, and you had Ian Walker with that haircut. You know, it's, it's like, <laughs> it was very much of his time. Wasn't yeah, it? <laughs> absolutely. And um, and then of course it started to change with with the, with Kappa came back in, and obviously there's a there's a Tottenham connection to Kappa because Simon Bamber is a Tottenham fan. Simon Bamber works as a sort of consultant. He's a good friend of Daniel Levy's. Um, he knows Darren Burney very well. Um, you know, Simon Bamber's got. A, 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 a real love of Tottenham Hotspur and his company the, the uh, GLD own the licence for Umbro now in the UK okay. you know so um, he's he's had a long history of working he, 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 he saved Kappa in the, in the mid in the mid 90s right. and eventually got you know there was a connection when he got him into Spurs into Kappa yeah. kits but then for all that fantastic kit in four, those kits in 4-5 then they really blotted their copybook in their last season in 5-6 with those horrendous, you know, um, contrasting sleeve designs. Yeah, that for me, that's that's the lowest point. That there was too much blue on that shirt. It just, but got, it just the it, balance of the shirt all went wrong, and the kit was. But the whole the whole out. set of those three sets, I just thought, oh, that away colour raw really blue just didn't seem a Tottenham yeah. colour, did it? With you know, it was it was that. And then when people look back, that at that particular time, they only look back at the. The bad ones, you know, and that's what they remember. They go, Kappa, oh, that was five, six season. Oh, yeah. that was awful. What are they thinking? And yet they forget that the season before was, it was a really, so really good. nice array of kits. You briefly touched on goalkeeper shirts there. There's a section in the book about the goalkeeper shirts. and Well, you could do a whole book on goalkeeper shirts. Yeah. You really could because it's absolutely mad, um, you know, for going from the, the plane. And historically, I suppose, I've always seemed to wear green, you know. Um, but... There's always this thing about red goalkeeper shirts with Spurs. Now, obviously, they don't make red goalkeeper shirts for Spurs anymore because they no. don't need to. But up until 1985, 
in the football league you could only have four colours. That's right. And lots of people didn't realise or don't know that there was and, a limit. And yellow was not a colour you were allowed. Yellow was an international goalkeeper shirt yeah. colour. So you had the choice of white, green, um, blue and red. Or scarlet, royal blue, uh, royal green and white. Of course, and white was an absolute no-no. So you couldn't have a home Spurs shirt team. or with the away shirt because Spurs would have changed because of the other team. So we, we've got two. We've got picture of Pat Jennings in a red shirt. Sorry, Ray Clements in a yeah. red shirt in nineteen eighty-five. Um, he wore a red Lacoste sportif shirt three times. Yeah, in in four years. I have an old Panini sticker book which I finally look back at yeah. occasionally, flick through, and then sort well, of that's an double interesting take. one because that that game against Coleraine, um, he wore red and, and it was Tony Parks' debut yeah now I interviewed Tony for the book two hours absolutely love Tony he's a fantastic character and um, but he, but it, the interview itself it, it could you could turn it into a, a book you know yeah. it's just brilliant and um, some of it you couldn't actually print <laughs> but um he, you know the, the, the that was his debut against Coleraine he came on for Ray in the second half yeah and but he didn't have a red shirt on. So Ray wore a red shirt in the first half and Clem, and um, Tony Parks, he didn't wear a, a red shirt in the second half. He wore uh, a blue one. And it turns out that there was no red number 13 goalkeeper shirt. For him to wear. So he didn't have to wear it. So he was quite relieved because obviously there's a story in the book where he tells us about the UEFA Cup final in 1984, first leg away from home. I'll leave that in there for you to look that yeah. up. But it's a great story. Um, about about involving a red shirt um, because obviously then a year later we, we all know about Neville Southall having to wear a red shirt in a UEFA Cup final. Yeah, Cup as final, an Everton goalkeeper that would um, seem yeah. an odd choice and now. And again, that was because they were playing a team in green and white and his teammates were playing in blue so yeah. he had to wear red, that was his only choice and that's what's happened to Spurs keepers in the past, you know. Um, but then in 85 it all changed and it just went, Hamill just, just went crazy with the goalkeeper shirts I mean they produced 10 different kit, goalkeeper's kits to be worn, goalkeeper shirts to be worn because um, at the time of course goalkeepers were still wearing the same shorts and socks as yeah. the outfield players um, and they had this um, they had 10 different designs over a course of 3 seasons it's incredible. That, they, that they could have used and in the first season they used 7 of them yeah um, it just was that, and one of those kits was red and we've got a red shirt Hamill shirt in the book but um, but thankfully then by then or thankfully to some that he didn't wear need to wear red goalkeeper shirt or well, not when you've got seven other choices no I suppose not <laughs> um, Spurs in cup finals there, there's obviously there's one major story and, and we're going to leave 1987 for, for people to enjoy the book and to, to read about the, um, the mishap story. With the with half the players having uh, sponsored shirts and half the players having blank shirts, um, tell me about the nineteen eighty two FA Cup final. Both teams wore their away strips, and people believed that that was the rule at the time. The rule at the time still applied outside of the semi finals. If there was a clash in in a semi final from nineteen seventy, there was a clash. Um, then both. Uh, both teams usually changed, but in 1970 it changed for the final, and it was decided by a toss of a coin. Okay. Um, so, what happened was in 1982, um, the first time, um, the f- for the semi-final, QPR wore red away. They wore their kit that they wore in the final. Yeah. You know, they wore their away kit in the semi-final, and they, and they obviously won. I think they beat West Brom. That's right. At, at the and, library. At, that's right. And and. They wore red, and they, you know, if they won the toss, they they have a decision. They can make a choice. Now the rule is, if uh, you t- flick a coin to decide the winners of the coin toss, then means that the away- the team that lost the coin toss will wear their away kit. They have to the clash, yeah. so they change. So Spurs change. So then QPR, as long as their away kit that they want to wear does not clash with Spurs change kit, they can wear it. And so they, they chose did. to wear their home because kit. they considered uh, it lucky. They considered it lucky, similar to what West Ham had done in in 1980. Yeah. They did exactly the same. Both teams changed in 1980, and West Ham wore their all white kit because they'd won the semi final. I think they beat Everton, That's but right. they won the semi final wearing all white, and they considered it lucky. They won the coin toss, and decided to wear 
So wife. even quirks back then, it wasn't just about home or it wasn't a cynical commercial choice. It no. was just a Well, I mean, you've got to remember the first time that the, the television influenced the colours in a cup final was 1963. Yeah. Because Manchester United played Leicester in 1963 and the two dark colours, red and blue, on the black and white tellies. So, so there was a coin toss and Leicester lost and they had to wear their white kit. Whereas um, on the day, you know, nobody in the ground would have been having a problem between red and blue. Right. But on the television, but the viewing um, public, right. and that's what you know. That's going back. Just briefly mention eighty-seven. We've got the full story of eighty-seven in the book, um, but the sponsorship logo was what caused the issue in the first place. Never yeah. mind the fact there was some without, some with. And I'll leave that there, just to say that the world, the, the, the FA Cup final is beamed around the world, and there's an awful lot of Muslim countries that right. will, you know, where alcohol is banned, will watch the FA Cup final. So, yeah. Interesting. Now, the people involved in the book, the, the history of the Tottenham kit men, that would have been intrinsic with the story here. Tell me about the characters. Well, what we did was, obviously there's a very, very famous kit man at Spurs. Every club seems to have one of those. You know, there was a guy you know, um, at West Brom, who recently passed away, sadly. He's a Matthews, and he'd been at the club for 50-plus years. Um, obviously, Spurs had one. He'd been there as a player and, and every other job going, um, from trainer to youth team coach to, to A team coach and um, kit man. And he'd been doing a kit man job without that title for a long, long time. And that was Johnny Wallace. Yeah. But he didn't become the club's official kit man until 1974. And yet he'd been doing the kit since the end of the 1950s. Yeah. You know? um, and he had a. He was, he was unique, Johnny, in the fact that he was very much like kit man of the time. That, you know, waste not, want not. Nothing went to waste. Mm-hmm. You know, he was, um, or Mickey Hazard once said to me, just think how much, because he had this thing about once a kit had been, um, once a kit would reach a certain stage where it couldn't be repaired, he would just cut it up. And, you know, Mickey said, yeah, just think how much money's worth of kit yeah. that Johnny Wallace just shirts. That Johnny and they, they would just use as rags yeah. to polish I mean, boots. There's a story in the book that Tony Parks tells when he was head, head apprentice about, the 1973 League Cup final Airtech shirts. We didn't even know they existed. Yeah. No one's ever seen one. But, but Tony Parks asked Johnny, because Johnny pulled one out. So when was Tony Parks head apprentice? 1980? Yeah, a bit earlier than that. Yeah, 79. And, and um, so he's pulled out this box. They're all standing around talking at the end of the day. He's pulled out this box. There's his Cup final shirt. So he prepared but never worn. Glorious thing. Short sleeves. Um... It's got all the embroidery on it, Airtex. He said, shaky, it was a thing of beauty. He said, so of course I cheekily asked him for one. I didn't get a very pleasant reply, <laughs> but um, something along, you're not having any of my shirts with a few expletives in. But, um, you know, those sorts of things are what Johnny was like. He used to hoard things. And Keith Bogshaw made me laugh because his famous, Alan Gilzean said, you can't go into, you, you know, you always went in and met Sylvie. With the you know with the warmth of the laundry ladies, they were they were, the kettle was always on. There was always a biscuit. There was always a chat. But Johnny Wallace's office was always his kit room was locked. Right. And Keith Bergeson said, "But did you know he had another room in the club building, and no one knew about? And that was his emergency store. And that was wow. floor to ceiling stocked with boxes." Steve Perriman said, "My one of my jobs that I used to really enjoy when I was an apprentice was cleaning Johnny Wallace's room out. It was just basically sweeping it. Yeah. And if you knew you had it long enough." You'd have a little look in some of the boxes and have a little look at the kits, and because we're running around looking like ragass rovers with tatty kit on, and it's all this gloriously new kit in boxes in his room, ready to and, go, and, and and then and some of it never got touched. And there's an example, nineteen seventy three Airtech shirt, but oh. Phil Bill um, um, made me laugh when he said um, he never wore in this country never wore a short sleeve shirt. Right? Okay, and sometime on tour when they started to use Airtech shirts, the club. They all wore short sleeve shirts in Airtech. And, um, but he said, I never wore a long sleeve shirt. And when we got the choice in 74, his last season at the club, Johnny'd always come in and go, what do you want today, Phil? No, I always want a just long sleeve, Johnny, please, as always. And um, so I said, really and truthfully, that was your fault that we didn't know the Airtech shirts in the 1973 final. Yeah. Because Johnny said, there's no way you'd have worn a short sleeve shirt. He said, no, I think it was the weather, wasn't it? Because <laughs> it was a pretty dank day, wasn't it? it, it from so. videos I've seen yeah. since. Um, what challenges did you come across whilst producing the book? The main challenge, really, for me personally, was um, my health. You yes. Know, and, and actually having been able to, to, to put it together 
Um, it was tough, but I'm not going to, you know, I don't want, don't want anyone's small violins to stop playing right now because it was also one of the most enjoyable things ever. You know, the satisfaction of seeing what's in front of you now, I just can't describe because you knew that that's what you wanted it to be and it is that, you know. So the toughest thing about the book, because everyone from official people at the club, from Mike Rollo, you know, he had a great chat with Mike Rollo. And, he was the commercial uh, yeah, guy at the club, wasn't yeah, he, for many he years? He was involved with the, the, the Holston deal when That's he was right. promotions manager. Um, and speaking to, and the thing that I love about Tottenham Hotspur when doing the book is the fact that there are so many local companies that are involved, were intrinsically entwined into the, the club. You know, it's not just a football club, it's a community resource. And Spurs have never moved outside of that mile radius from mm-hmm. where they are that's the right, yeah. and and that that comes through with when you talk to people you know Elsie's used to provide the kit then the furthest away they ever go was to, was to Southgate for um, um, Ron Goodman Sports yeah and um, and these companies distributed Umbro or Bupta kits that that the club wore whereas we might perceive they came direct from the manufacturers yeah they were a local and that, in supplier. those days they had to go through what they called it a sports outfitters yeah. or the retail shop. So Elsie's used to provide kit. Then, then Ron Goodman did, and 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 like I said, mentioned Minerva Footballs and that all that those clubs. I mean, the, the story they're telling me about how the Holston deal came along. Mike Rollo was in the White Hart pub having a went in and asked for a bottle of beer at the end of one yeah. day, and it was given as a Holston beer. And he thought, all oh, right. So he looked on the bottle and saw where they had a UK address and he thought in those days there was no internet I couldn't get on my phone yeah. so I had to go back to work the next day with the details logged down and find the number in director inquiries but he said that's the White Hart pub was the was the seed that was planted yeah. to get the Holston deal done and that was for and, uh, initially just for a match day sponsor for a game against Bayern Munich wasn't it in a no they European... didn't yeah they, 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 they came, in, came on board to sponsor the match yeah and um, but ultimately at the same time they talked then about possibly sponsoring the shirts and at the time people didn't know but the the club are quite a long way down the line with possibly getting TSB to sponsor them really they'd got mock-up of the shirt and everything and um but the decision couldn't be made until the day before the Manchester United game so Mike Rollo negotiated a deal that they would wear sponsored shirts in the Manchester United game and then once it was decided at the board meeting the day before at Holston whether they could Sponsor the club the rest of the season. Yeah, they would, but they. But he got them on board for that for the game against Manchester United, um, which was then done by another local company, um, John Metzler's. John Metzler was Adrian Metz. Adrian Metzler started Minerva Footballs. John Adrian Metzler has a son called John. In fact, I think he has four or five mm-hmm. sons, but John Metzler was Adrian's brother, and he was Jonas Metzler, and he came over from Holland. Um, and after the war, and he started Kilburn Sports. Now people will remember Kilburn Sports. If you, you know, you'll remember, you'll remember Goodman Sports. You'll remember Kilburn Sports. You remember Elsie's. Well, Kilburn Sports did all the embroidery for the pennants, for the, ma- for uh-huh. the matches, for the embroidery for the tracksuits and the match days for the cup finals, and and the Holston, of course, those that time to put Holston that on the badge, the, uh, on the shirt. The Holston logos was, were embroidered, and. Um, and that's, you know, that's bizarre because you wouldn't have embroidered logos on shirts these Make days. Make them a little heavier, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, but, you know, he had six days to turn around a full set of Holston embroidered kits for the game against Manchester United. And that was the first ever live football league match on the BBC, wasn't yeah. it? And that yeah. was back then. Well, that's fascinating, Simon. And you said, is the book as you planned it at the beginning, the finished article? Because this is just stunning. I can't keep saying it enough. It's just beautiful. Well, I think if you, if you spoke to the guys at Vision Sport, the publishers, um, they would say it's a bit bigger than we anticipated. <laughs> you know, it's got probably eighty more pages in than we originally planned. Okay, but then when you've got two hundred and nine, ten different variations of shirt in the book, and um, you know, you that's going to happen. You know, but we wanted to be as authoritative as we could be, uh-huh. but without boring people. And this this is everything to everyone. For me, this is the oracle of, of Tottenham football. Well, kits the thing about writing, writing the shirt book, and it's quite interesting, 
everyone, nobody likes Adrian Durham, do they? I mean, <laughs> he gets hammered by everyone of, of supporters of all the big clubs because he seems to just be controversial for the sake yeah. of controversial because that's his job to get people to ring in and want to fight with him. Um, but to be fair to him, he he had Ray Parler on that guy that used to play for them down the road, and um, and and he had the Arsenal book in the studio, okay. and they were talking about because he's been very complimentary about the Arsenal book. But he doesn't like Arsenal, just like he doesn't like Spurs. Yeah. But he was talking about that book and Ray Parler was going, oh, look, they've got my shirt in there. And I thought I've got that at home. And I'm thinking, no, Ray, you swapped that with a Sheffield Wednesday player, <laughs> but I didn't want to, to, to embarrass you on air. Well, when they were talking about that, I know a, a gentleman who's a Spurs fan messaged the message Talk Sport and said, or Drive Time, and said, there's a Spurs book coming out. And he sent him a picture of the cover of the book. Right. So then, from that, Adrian Durham now follows the Spurs shirt Twitter account. Okay. And he follows my personal account. Um, and um, off the back of that, and so I'm, you know, and of course, on TalkSport, there's a very famous Spurs fan who does the afternoon show. Yes, um, Hawksby. So we're hoping that um, maybe he'll enjoy a copy of the book as well. Excellent. So, yeah, it's bigger than we thought it was going to be. But we wanted to be as authoritative as it was, and we didn't want to bore people, though. You know, so there's stuff in there that people be interested in. But I'll tell you now, ninety percent of the people are just going to look at the pictures because it isn't one of those yeah. things you take on a commute. At the, the very least, yeah. it's just a fantastic memory jerker, and I think that's a great um, way of describing it. Um, Simon, it's been a pleasure to come here today to talk to you. Um, I've had so much fun helping with the book, um, and I'm going to have so much fun enjoying it for the rest of the time. Um, Thanks for listening, guys. Get yourself down to the club shop because it's available from... The 1st of December. And only available from... Spurs. It's it's only available through Tottenham. So it's exclusively Tottenham Hotspur. Um, so you can only buy it. You can't buy it on Amazon. You can't buy it in Waterstones. Mm-hmm. You can't buy it at Smith. Only through Tottenham retail outlets and um, and the online shop. But no, no pre-orders, just on the day, it'll be yeah. available to order. So get online at nine o'clock in the morning, there you go, click on it, buy it, 30 quid, um, jobs are good. And if you're in St. Evanage or, or sorry, Stevenage, or um, or any of the other places that have, you know, the other Spur shops, yeah, Harlow Chelmsford and, and the like, yeah, yeah. That have Spur shops, it'll be available in there as well as the club shop down down the, or the mega store, yeah. it's called now, down the high road, so. Well, Get out there and get a copy, guys, because you're going to thoroughly enjoy this. Um, I have and I will again. So thank you, Simon. Thanks, Andy. Uh, and remember, the future's bright, the future's lily white. Come on, you Spurs. I always thought there was very, very many people interested in football, and I always thought that football was a very important game, but I never realised until today just how important it is. Whether the Wonder Boys of White Hart Lane are or are not the team of the century can't possibly be more than a matter of opinion. Well, they're the finest team in Great Britain, and one of the best in the world. We are about the glory of the game. We are about playing with style. We are Tottenham Hotspur. The curve of the ball, the billow of the net, the beating of the trap and the picking of the lock, the swiftness of thought, the lightness of touch. We are Ginola, Greaves, Klinsman. We are the collective gasp, the intake of breath, the flick, the trick, the 30-yard free kick. We are Hoddle, Mabbott and King. We are the lob, the chip, the dummy and the volley. We are the hat trick, the scissor kick. We are Bill Nick. We are the outside of the boot, the inside of the net, and those seconds that last forever. Van der Vaart to level it up. Raphael van der Vaart, 2-2! It's quite a game, isn't it always? We are Jennings, Defoe and Perryman. Glory past, glory future. What was, what is, what's next. We are Blancheflower, Ardelis, and Bale. We are about winning with a flourish. We are about winning with style. We are about the glory of the game. Daring to try, daring to risk, daring to dream. 
to dare is to do.